0: I would say, um, to begin with at least, don't worry about making mistakes. Never, never be fearful of making mistakes because essentially um, you can't make mistakes. Uh, when you're at the beginning of your career, when you're young, you, you, sh- you shouldn't be able to do anything which is uh, serious enough to really mess anything up. Mm-hmm. So it, that is the time when you have to uh, learn.
1: Hey guys, this is Manish and welcome back to yet another episode of the Aak podcast where you will get some awesome gyan on architecture, tech design, BIM and a whole lot more. So today I'm super stoked to have with us Simon Gallagher who is one of the directors at Integrated Design Limited which is a BIM consultancy firm based in Hong Kong with offices in Singapore as well as Calcutta. So they provide BIM consultancy services to owners, designers and contractors throughout Asia and their services include building information modeling, building information management, virtual design and construction, BIM modeling, laser scanning, digital twins, which we're going to be talking about in this episode, rendering and animation and a whole lot more. So Simon heads most of the BIM work and oversees most of the projects at Integrated Design He's been part of the AECO industry for more than 20 years and he's worked at various multinational engineering and design companies under various job titles related to BIM. He's a huge advocate for BIM and everything BIM related and it can be seen in his various accolades that he's received over the years. He's a Chartered Architectural Technologist, also known as MCIAT, since September 2012. He's a professional member of the Hong Kong Institute of BIM And he's also a CIC-certified BIM manager. So apart from BIM, he's a dotting father of two daughters and enjoys spending time with them. And he's been settled in Hong Kong for more than seven years now. So in this episode, Simon talks about his entire journey in the world of BIM, working at various international firms around the world, the process of a typical BIM project, BIM in Hong Kong and of course Asia, the future of construction and a whole lot more in this episode. This podcast is sponsored by courses.arkyan.com, a platform for you guys to learn more about architecture, design and get yourself geared up for the future. So you'll find the show notes and links at arkyan.com 52 or you'll also find it in the description below. Now let's jump straight to the episode. All right, um, so before we get into the technicalities or uh, BIM in general, give us a brief about yourself and you know how you got started and how you got into this space, uh, and also uh, what exactly it is that you do
0: okay so uh, this this may turn out to be a bit of a story, but i 'll try and keep it brief yeah, um, sure. basically i my the best thing probably I ever achieved was I got into Chelsea College of Art um, nice. when I left school, so i i I had no idea what I wanted to do. I just knew that I wanted to do something hmm. um, vaguely creative um, that I enjoy uh, architecture and design. But I, I really didn't know. Uh, and and it was a, a kind of traditional style uh, Bauhaus type setup in terms mm-hmm. of the way that the course was run, which meant that you you went off and you kind of did a bit of everything. So you did 3D design, you did illustration, all sorts of stuff um, with different tutors. And then you would pick something uh, in, I think, your second or th- anyway, it, one of the semesters you had to pick and then you kind of focused. And then and that was what you ended up doing. So I ended up doing interior design. Great. Right. That was basically how I got into interior design. And then I did a, a degree in interior design uh, oh, awesome. at the university. So I'm not an architect and I never went through architectural studies courses in a traditional mm-hmm. route at all. And um, from there, uh, my first job after graduating was working for a, 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 an actual manufacturer of uh, timber trusses mm-hmm. and, and value-added timber called Donaldson Timber Engineering. So it's a Scottish company. And I worked at their. Their um, they had a, a a UK design centre, which was a very small office, but it basically covered all the tricky stuff that the rest of the factories couldn't handle. Right. So they had a they had a sort of very uh, it was it was essentially uh, straight to straight to manufacture.
1: Right. So
0: kind of very early DFMA, I suppose you could call it what they call DFMA now. So you'd have, you'd have a request for, oh, this is the span. This is the pitch. This is, you know, this is, so you'd work out the truss design Mm -hmm. using this software, uh, MyTech software. So MyTech make the truss clips. So truss plates are basically, they're like gang nails um, that hold the timber together. So they, they cut some timber. They, 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 they basically press it together with these gang nails. And then ideally they stick them on the back of a truck and it goes to site and they crane them into place. And then that's your roof.
1: Mm-hmm. so this is awesome. a, this is
0: an old in, it's, it's an old industry it's been going around it, you know they've been they've been building timber trusses in the uk this way since the 60s maybe even earlier it's not new right. but the way they do it is very very because it's straight they're interested in selling wood <laughs> basically yeah and they get the markup on all of the other all of the other services you get with it so one of the things they can offer is a design service and that's why i was working for the design office because they would get someone comes in with a tricky roof that's round or a funny shape or something and they need help with setting it out and we could figure that out for them using trigonometry. So using some maths, but Mm -hmm. it's not, not, not crazy over the top stuff, but we were using some maths and some geometry working things out for them and then basically manufacturing it and overseeing that it gets to site that they're happy that things fit so it was quite quite so this an interesting uh, job
1: prefabrication before everything uh, before the buzzword right started
0: yeah oh, yeah absolutely um, yeah. but it's the thing is no one go no one went on about it because it's not new it's been going yeah. as i say it's been going on for a while it's just it's just a roof truss it's not complicated but it's actually it is still dfma um so you know when people go on about all these things now it's like it's not none of this is new it's like <laughs> yeah. you go on about it like it's brand you just thought about it and ah oh, it's what we need yeah, you're right. Here's what we need, but the industry is fragmented, hmm. and you've got little little guys that do this and do that. But there are examples, and have been for a long time. These these sort of quite, they're quite innovative because they're interested in making a markup on, you know, their their basic product is wood. They get their wood from Scandinavia. It's slow grown in in in, in Scandinavian forests. They 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 treat it. And, and it's but it's just wood, i mean how much money can you make on wood so they they yeah. they do all these other things so they they supply it they 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 manufacture stuff they they deliver it to site, they give you warranties on things, all this stuff, and they also do things you know glue lamb have you heard of glue lamb
1: no not really oh,
0: okay so it's uh it's a technique where they basically use um uh, it, it, it's 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 kind of the the clues in the name because it's, it's, it's glue and, and laminate it's kind of <laughs> right. It's you know, you have laminate where you, where you have a finish and it just looks like nice wood, yeah, but it's actually a very sort of thin veneer. Um, they basically make these uh engineered timber, yeah, uh, trusses, uh, or beams and things like that. Yeah, there you go. Oh, you oh, got it in awesome. the background. Well done. <laughs> <Yeah>. Um, <laughs> yes. and they 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 kind of look nice. It's stuff that you architecturally you can expose it, you can see it, and it looks mm-hmm. nice. Um, so depending on the design, you can have these kind of cool curved. Shapes yeah. like you've got there, yeah. So it, there's, there are examples of some real nice stuff that's been done with glue Lamp timber. So
1: All right. awesome,
0: and that's what they do. But you can't do that without a bit of
1: BIM. Yeah, yeah. These days, uh, BIM actually helps, right? In uh, creating complex shapes, and I mean, especially the execution. So that's more important.
0: It, it helps in the sense if you want things to work. Yeah, <laughs> if, if you're yeah. not if you're not fussy about things just not working, and you figure it out on site. Then yeah, you can build any shape you want. You always could build any shape you like. Yeah, I mean, basically, uh, boats are very complicated shapes, and and you know they haven't been built recently because of BIM. We've been building boats around the world for a long time, and it was done by eye,
1: hmm.
0: and you know it was done by by um, through practice and tradition and things like that. And they didn't tend to sink.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: you know. So and they're they're extremely complicated shapes. So it is possible. You don't really need all this digital stuff, but the, the 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 real clever thing is the bringing together of different um, different groups uh, and you know different stakeholders and getting yeah, them together. Um, that's the real. It's the collaborative part that's the clever part. Really, the actual doing of things is 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 interesting. It's cool, and you can do cool shapes and, and interesting geometry. But actually, you always could. It, that's that's not the new thing.
1: So you were part of this uh, firm for more than a year, right?
0: Uh, no, I think it was relatively short. I think it was six months or nine months. Right, right. Um, but i the, the, i worked in it it was an old um a converted barn basically um mm. it had a working farm behind it but this was these were some old old um units that had been converted into offices and across the way there was an architectural practice and i used to see them every morning and say hello and go and get coffee with them and stuff oh, and then nice. i got offered a job there so i just went across the so i was literally working opposite the same company i used to work oh, for awesome. So I did that, and then I was there for a few years because I and I enjoyed that much more because Mm -hmm. that was um, I was working as an architectural assistant, and I uh, I wasn't limited to roof trusses. (laughs) I wasn't limited to uh, to a certain part of the building. Mm -hmm. I used to get frustrated at Donaldson Timber. I'd get frustrated because I wanted to have more say in their design. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I wanted to have more more involvement, Um, but it wasn't my job. I was there as a um, really I was a sales a sort of sales technician because I could do so I had, there was a certain amount of the engineering that went on, but I'm, I'm not an engineer mm-hmm. so I could produce calculations. I could produce, uh, something you, it would do the, it would do the basic, um, physics for you. Yeah. So you, you, you'd say, this is the span, this is the pitch, and then it would work out what the sizes of the timber needed to be to make that work. Mm-hmm. And you could, and you could mess with it. You know, you could adjust it um, and, and make it more efficient, which was quite cool, but it didn't make me an engineer. Uh, far from it so it just meant that I could come up with uh, perhaps a, a slightly more innovative solution to something despite yeah. not being an engineer which is kind of a sign of the way things are going or beginning to go and, and you know you end up needing to be an engineer an architect uh, an interior designer all these things you, yeah. you don't just have one one discipline anymore
1: yeah as in like uh, working as a solo architect is not possible I mean it is to a certain extent if your projects are sort of uh, Uh, smaller on scale, but uh, once you scale up, uh, you need a large team with uh, large expertise also.
0: Actually, I would disagree with you uh, because I would say that that the way things are going, there's there's a sort of democratization process going on in the design industry where you can be an individual architect and you can Mm -hmm. work on multiple jobs with multiple different stakeholders and still work on, you can scale, you can scale up and down because if you're using digital technologies, if you're using Mm -hmm. BIM, you can be... uh, you know, kind of one cog in a big machine and work efficiently. You don't have to, you don't have to take it all on. You can take Mm -hmm. on the stuff that you do. You can, you can specialize, you can be a super specialist. You could just be a super specialist. in like, I don't know, one aspect of design, like you could be a a super specialist in in disabled access and stuff like that. And just, just do that, but still have meaningful input. Yeah. And that could be just your thing. Yeah.
1: Just focus on the niche. Right.
0: Mm, That's quite possible. It's more, I would say it's more possible rather than having to employ a very large consultant and say, oh, these guys have got the experts. And it's like, well, actually you don't need that now. I don't believe, I don't believe the, when you talk about the ACOMS and, and the, uh, and you know, the, the Arcadis and, and Atkins and anything yeah. else begins with A and, and all the others, <laughs> all these big multi- multinational ones, yeah. they they do have really good guys. But the thing is you, you that you're also paying quite a lot when, with your fee, you're paying for their overheads. And they have offices all over the place and, and all these sort of inefficiencies that you're paying for. Whereas if you assemble a small team, that's possible. And, mm. and also you can get good performance. You don't just have to go to the, 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 these sort of big names to get, it's not, it, if people look at it, it's almost like a branding exercise. You go, oh, it says Mark McDonald on my drawing. So that's good. Well, yeah. yeah, that is good. And they're a good company. I'm not saying they're not a good company, but it's just that how do they differentiate themselves from everyone else like ACOM? And, and Atkins, when they're all using the same software, they're all using Revit.
1: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> they're,
0: all, they're all basically doing the same thing. They all have a GDC. They all have like guys in India that are doing work for them. And you just go, yeah. well, what makes these guys different? It's kind of the same. They just have an office in, you know, they might have guys somewhere. They might have guys in Delhi instead of Bangalore or something. But like they still have the same people essentially working as a back office because they're trying to like lower their overheads.
1: <laughs> yeah, and that's
0: then they're all doing it. They're all at it. So I I don't believe that that you get necessarily get something special um, mm. for all
1: the money that you spend. But uh, I think they might have the upper hand in terms of uh, you know automation and uh, uh, adoption of technology. May might be a bit faster, right?
0: Um, again, yes and no. So you can perhaps control it more in a in an institutionalized way. So you can push things through a department, but i, I having worked for Atkins and having worked for Mott mcdonald mm. I've seen on the inside how these big organizations work, and they have they you know you have you have a, an office in, in Hong Kong and you'll have an office in the u k and the guys in the u k are streets ahead because mm. they' they're looking at diff, you know they're basically working to different standards yeah. and they're they're talking about stuff that you haven't even got onto yet in Hong Kong, and yeah. yet as a company you you know as a, as a, as a client, you employ Mott Mcdonald to do your work. But you're not getting these guys that are doing the smart stuff in the UK. You're getting these guys in Hong Kong, mm. <laughs> and unfortunately, right. that's the truth of it. And it's not—it's not equal.
1: Yeah, that—that perfectly makes sense, and in a way, uh, you know, inspires me as well to uh, start off and uh, build a small company, which hopefully would reach those uh, the bigger ones, right?
0: Well, unfortunately, India—it just tends to be uh, seen as a sort of a, an outsourcing place. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I don't know what precisely needs to be done to change that. But I do know that the business environment needs to be improved. It's not business friendly. Mm. It's actually set up almost to make you abuse people because mm. people are cheap. Everything's yeah. expensive, but people. And it makes no sense to me whatsoever because we have an office in Kolkata.
1: Mm.
0: And I know that our costs there in terms of our, we have to use Tatar internet. Mm. And they're so expensive because there's no competition. They're yeah. unbelievably expensive. And in comparison, the cost in, in Hong Kong is peanuts. But yet right. you're in Hong Kong. And everyone goes, oh, Hong Kong's expensive. Yeah. And by comparison, internet and electricity are way cheaper in Hong Kong. Oh, nice. And also more reliable because we have loads of, loads of uh, power cuts and stuff in, in Kolkata. We have yeah. lots of infrastructure issues. We don't have the same problems in Hong Kong.
1: Mm. You know,
0: you just do not, you do not lose connectivity. But yet you do in, in Kolkata frequently, many times.
1: <laughs> happens a lot. Yeah. And uh, in terms of salary as well, I mean, I worked for Atkins for a bit. Uh, I was pretty happy uh, with the salary which I got because it was a hundred percent, you know, hike from the previous local architecture firm. Mm. So uh, it just, it just, I mean, I'm supposed to be earning a lot more, but uh, you know, I was pretty satisfied with that salary as well.
0: Well, I I guess it can go further because you are in Bangalore, aren't you? Yeah. Um, and so I, I was there for two weeks when I was with Atkins uh, and they mm. sent me out there. But the, what's disgusting is the money that, I, I wasn't paid much for Hong Kong. I was on quite a low wage for Hong Kong,
1: mm-hmm.
0: but in comparison to the guys in India, I was like a King, I, yeah. you know, I'm like earning all this money and it's like, Hey, I'm not that good. I'm just, they sent me out there, you know, for all this expense, they had me put up at the Shangri-La. So I'm in a nice hotel mm-hmm. and, and there's all these other guys from Atkins and were, we're all working on, on, on the same project. Brilliant. And I didn't, it was, so, it was so inefficient in a sense. They kind of threw me and didn't really brief me very well about what they expected me to do. I didn't have a team to manage. I was just there to help doing these things. And, and I was sitting there after a couple of days going, I could do this from Hong Kong. I don't need to be here at all. It's yeah. just like a holiday. And it, but two weeks and the cost of that. And that's what I mean about as a client. That's what you're paying for. You're paying for these guys to make these decisions that you think as a small business, you would never send someone all that way Unless you knew there was a good return, yeah. So, <laughs> I know what I'd do if I was spending money. I'd be looking for like these small guys and finding people that I could work with and saying, "We can assemble a team ourselves. <laughs> we don't need to go to the big boys." You do yeah. that because you let them you let them project manage it for you. Yeah, absolutely. But there, but there's all these inefficiencies built in there. So for for the fee to have been high enough to sustain someone like me to go all that way uh, for very little purpose, if I'm honest with you, in terms of I could have done it. From my, in, from my desk in Hong Kong. In fact, I could have done more from Hong Kong because I didn't have access to the server locally because I wasn't from that region. Mm-hmm. And the way that Atkins works, it's like I'm, I'm not from that region and therefore I don't need access to that region. And I Whoa. didn't have... I, the IT side wasn't, wasn't up to speed on me being there. So I was actually logging in via Hong Kong from Bangalore. And it's like, <laughs> this is insane. Why am I yeah. doing this? It's the stupidest thing ever. And that's how it was that's only my experience obviously these are sort of anecdotes and so maybe maybe yeah, it's but not now like that now there might be a larger
1: shift to uh, remote working right uh, I mean, they might see the benefit of uh, saving cost and time as well i mean bangalore well, traffic that, I, as
0: it is is crazy <laughs> sure i mean that is another thing which was a i i thought like bim it's a no brainer you know remote working no brainer yeah but yet there's all this resistance uh, it's so hard to achieve and, and I think one of the reasons is, is that there's a fear of a lack of control, a loss of control. I need 50 guys. I need to see what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Um, <you> know. <laughs> Whereas we've got team, uh, a team in Kolkata who've been surviving working, not everyone, we can't mm. get everyone working, but we, our manager, our MD in, in Kolkata, uh, Shweta, she actually had the foresight to set up our people by getting them internet connections where they didn't have internet connections, getting them taxis back to their place with a with a PC from our office, mm-hmm. and had them working, had them working when they're all uh, on lockdown. Nice. <laughs> so we still had a team going. We still had we still had some working. Then they got hit by a tropical cyclone. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so then, oh, it's crazy. Um, but but yet we were still getting work out the door.
1: Yeah, but the client uh, clients sure didn't like, stop asking for work. There was a drop in efficiency in some way, right?
0: Uh, yes of course we didn't have a full team hmm. we still don't have a full team. People had problems with with uh power cuts with with internet connectivity and stuff when uh, you know when when we, when the tropical storm hit that was a big problem. Lots of people got knocked out basically they just the whole of kolkata had no no signal <laughs> yeah um, but they they you know it's just it's, it doesn't it still doesn't put me off remote working because it's they're they're still they're still getting stuff done. Mm -hmm. And we've seen, we've actually seen efficiency benefits from people working from home because they're home. So therefore, if they want to work at nine, 10 o'clock at night, they can. Mm -hmm. Whereas, whereas when they were in in the office, because the traffic is bad in Kolkata, they were wanting to leave because they want to get home because it takes so long. If they're already at home, you know, problem solved and then they can do the things they want to do and then carry on working.
1: Yeah. I would like to further talk about uh, your company but before that uh just bring you back and maybe uh, discuss. I mean how how did you pick up on all the skills and I think I'm sure you started with CAD, right? Yeah. Um so uh
0: going back to that I do apologize. I did say it, it could be a, a long story. You're gonna have <laughs> yeah, to manage no me quite well and keep me on track. Yeah. So I, I got into Chelsea College and uh, and then when I went to do my degree, I uh I, we were put in front of silicon graphics machines and, and, and we, used, uh, we used Archicad.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And that's the first time I'd used something like that. I'd used, I'd used um, AutoCAD. I, I knew AutoCAD 2000 from my uh, placement year. Right. We did. It was a sandwich degree so I, I worked in business for a year and I worked one place for six months, somewhere else for six months. So I'd already worked in architect's practice and I already knew that I enjoyed the experience which, is, which kind of explains the reason why a hot job um, quite so soon because I, I really enjoyed the way that a practice works mm. and the way that you're working as a team and you're working together and, and, and the things you do. It's just got a nice sort of vibe to it, and I enjoyed it. So I was happy to go back to that. Um, but I, it was all CAD work, yeah. Mm-hmm. But in uh, university, we used um, – it was ArchiCAD, I think, 6.5, so it's pretty old now.
1: So <laughs> I think it 2002, version, I think, right?
0: 2003? No. Uh, well, I was using it in about 97, 98, I oh, think. Oh, wow. So a long time ago, so but we weren 't doing much with it. It was basic uh, you have a, a simple survey of a, a, an interior of a, a, a it 's a real building, but it would be a real a real uh, building in Bournemouth somewhere that was a, you know we 'd have a, a mock project mm-hmm. and you just you, 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 there's like a there was a, I think there probably still is so i haven 't used Archicad for a while, but there was a magic wand tool where you could basically just turn a CAD drawing into into bim essentially because you just oh, click on that. the walls you just click on the lines and turn it into walls and then just you could override it tell it how thick you wanted it and stuff but and say what it was built from and then you know set up your sheets for sections and things really? it was so cool and that was ages ago you know it was so long ago and i never after that i never ever worked for anywhere that used archicad i i had one interview for a, an architects practice up north in the northwest of england hmm. that they admitted to using archicad and that's the only time anyone ever it, it was just zero oh. <laughs> so that's the only thing about archicad there they have a very small market share but it's yeah. a really good product it's very very good yeah it's really it was good, powerful yeah. back then it was powerful yeah 98 <laughs> um so when i saw revit come along i laughed because i thought it was rubbish yeah you know, i used i used to use architectural desktop and it was terrible in comparison <laughs> i was i was like i'm used to archicad this is so much you know this this thing's retarded
1: <laughs> yeah <Revit laughs> it felt like taking later, a step right? back
0: yeah revit, it was like 2002 or something yeah but, um, yeah, something like that. And I saw it in maybe 2000 and, hmm, I'm trying to think now. Yeah, 2003 or something like that. I remember there was some guys from AutoCAD that came to my practice that did a presentation. And I was just laughing, just going, Archicad's already better than
1: this. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and uh, But of course, uh, Autodesk are very big and very American and very aggressive. And they pushed and pushed. And now they've got a huge market share. Yeah. And we are where we are. Um, and it has its strengths. But it also has its uh, fundamental weaknesses, which have never been addressed. Like the fact that the engine itself runs in Imperial. So you have to convert to metric. So it's mm. automatically slightly, in, uh, slightly inaccurate from the word go. Everything I work on and most of the world works on is, imper- is uh, metric, not Imperial. And yet, mm. because it's an American product, it has to be Imperial, yeah. doesn't
1: it? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, but now yeah. it's uh, pretty good. I mean, they have uh, generative design and I have no clue what they have for it in the future as well
0: oh it's it's very very good and and one of the things one of the great strengths of of revit is the the huge number of people that use it means that you're very unlikely to be alone with a problem problem that no one else yeah. has seen before and that's one of the problems i have with bentley products so you have bentley as a as a as a competitor
1: hmm.
0: um and they 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 do some cool stuff their, their software can do some cool stuff and yet you you i found i i would hit um a brick wall yeah. because there's not enough people using it. So you can't kind of, there's n- the, the forums aren't well populated. There's not enough people to ask these questions. So you end up sort of automatically being this kind of like weirdo specialist. And you, <laughs> you don't want to be the only person using Bentley products.
1: And Bentley is like mostly used in infrastructure, right? Larger they, projects. It
0: can uh, possibly, uh, yes, it's, it's mainly, I think it's best known for infrastructure, but that doesn't mean it can't do buildings. Hmm. Um, it's just that perhaps, yeah, it's may, maybe less used. But I, I, for example, it was used on, um, when I was at Mount McDonald, they were doing Thames Tideway and that was Bentley. Weird. And it was good. It's, I mean, it's a huge project and it was put together well and they were doing a good job. So it can, it can definitely do the job. There's no doubt about it, but it just has such a small market share in comparison to uh, Autodesk products. Hmm. So you end up just by default, it's kind of everything's Autodesk
1: everything else feels like an extra yeah and they're trying to play the monopoly now right
0: yeah it's a pity um i'm not don't get me wrong i don't hate autodesk it's just that i like to see some healthy competition and, and i and i i know from experience of having used archicad that it's good it's really good and yet it doesn't get anything like the the kind of um the notice that it deserves. Um, I can't say the same of Bentley because I haven't got the experience. I've only used bits here and there. Mm-hmm. But I do have a good friend who's a who's a he's a rep for Bentley. He's a, a, a sort of technical. I can't remember what his role is, but something quite senior in Singapore. And he's he's turned it. He's like a Bentley evangelist. He loves it.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: But I, I my only use of Bentley products really was um, when I was at Atkins and when I was at Mott um, MacDonald. I had. Reason to use certain things uh, like MicroStation for for converting something to something else or whatever, or um, I models. You have this I model plugin that you need to use. To, you have to create iModels models. Oh, okay. For for compatibility uh, right. with Revit and stuff like that. It's it's it always ends up feeling like this kind of um, the, the the thing about Bentley is their 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 graphical user interface is 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 usually doesn't it leaves a lot to be desired so it doesn't look slick hmm. so it looks like you're using old software when you're not
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. It, it, it tends to be a bit clunky looking but it's it's actually totally fine it does a good job it's just yeah sorry i, I think i've done that thing again when i've gone off on my, I? <laughs> yeah what, no what were we meant to
1: be talking about i've forgotten yeah I, I, as in uh, i think the best user interface is undoubtedly uh, sketchup i mean it's so simple right but yeah it doesn't come with the technicalities of a bim software
0: well, it's not BIM. Yeah, it's not BIM. Yeah. Uh, it's like Rhino. It's not BIM. It's it's it it, it will make you a some you know, fancy geometry, but it doesn't necessarily know what it's made from. Yeah. It doesn't carry the data. So, it, it, but it was always meant to be quick and easy. It was meant to be easy enough for even architects to understand. <laughs> that yeah. was the intention with SketchUp, and it used to be free as well when it first started. That was nice. Now it's Trimble, isn't it? Trimble SketchUp. Yeah. But it All went right. through a few. It went through a few iterations. I remember using it when it first came out, and I, and it felt like a breath of fresh
1: air. It's like, oh, here we go. This is easy. <laughs> yeah. But how did you like uh, pick up on? Uh, I mean, was it through the companies that you work for, or? Uh, oh yeah, have, yeah, sure. Yeah.
0: So uh, university helped me. So uh, my sandwich year, I was I learned AutoCAD on just uh, basically at the coalface. I taught myself. Other people taught me uh, simple keyboard commands people that worked on uh what was it r14 or r16 whatever the old one before the old autocad before 2000 2000 was the big change in interface because you started to get tabs yeah um but before that it was all keyboard commands So there were people that were all keyboard commands whereas i've never been comfortable with that so i was always um right click <laughs> so right click sub menus that's always been the thing that i'm i like so you, you hover over escape with your left hand and on your right hand, it's just like, you know, mouse button for pan. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and 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 zoom, and then you, you you that's everything you need. You've got your tabs. So you've got all your sheets that you can set up. You've got your your um, model space, so you can fly around and put things wherever you like. It's easy. It's really easy to use once you get the basics. And I found MicroStation much more. Uh, well, it felt backwards. It felt inside out. I think it's the same. If you go from MicroStation to AutoCAD, you probably feel the same. Hmm. My wife, bless her, had to use Vectorworks. She's an architect, and she had to use Vectorworks at her last practice, and she oh, hated
1: nice.
0: it. It's tough because <laughs> it's it's just, and again, it's just another interface, another way of using something, and uh, it's difficult when you're used to something else.
1: And you played uh, many a role, right? Uh, you played an architectural technologist role, BIM coordinator. Been project coordinator and also digital delivery specialist. So like, uh, was it on, when you jumped these roles, was, was the type of work the same or was it getting different and was it getting more? Oh, yeah. And-
0: yeah, that's a good question. So, uh, sorry, going back to what I was saying before that I, the, 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 the um, yeah, sure. Uh, working in, 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 in practice helped, hmm. uh, using ARCHICAD in university helped. But you don't, the the problem with universities, you don't, um, you don't really use anything in anger. So you know, the theory of stuff, or you know, a little bit about what things to press on. Yeah, but you don't really know how to use it when you've got deadlines looming um, in the same way, you still have deadlines at uni, too, of course, but it's not the same as working in an actual working environment. So you, you then start to feel the, the, the pressure more and you understand more about when you're at, actually at the coal face, having to deliver, having to do these things, you feel the pain of why is this so inefficient? Why does this take so long? Why is my computer so slow? You don't worry quite so much at university. You can yeah. stay up all night doing stuff if you want because you don't care because you're a student. It, it's, it was easy. You could yeah. leave things running in the lab and, and have things rendering overnight. And it, it was, whereas if you, if you need to get something done because the client's expecting it, you can't have it crash. You know things like that so all Mm. these things kind of um you kind of have to learn really by going and doing it and you have to go and be doing it with someone paying you for it so that they've got this uh, pressure on you to look this is your job you've got to get this done kind Mm. of thing whereas at university you can you can flunk it if you want at university it doesn't really matter that much and and you know the lecturer might go oh good effort but you know it was rubbish (laughs) (laughs) you know you didn't achieve anything it's just Mm. like you know everything crashed and you 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 know what you did was no good. So you really have to learn. I, there still is, there still doesn't seem to be a model that works better than learning on the job, but that's not the full picture. You need yeah. the theory. You need the, you need some education. You need some chance to, to practice in a different sort of sandbox environment, but you also have to use it in anger to get to know how to do this, how to do that, what to do, what not to do. Mm. Um, so that's how I, I, I a lot of it, I trained myself. I just, jumped in at the deep end because, you know, I, like I say, with, with AutoCAD, I didn't really know what I was doing. I, I knew these kind of, I'd done some stuff at university. And then it turns out when you actually go and work, it's like, I was pretty hopeless to begin with, mm-hmm. but then you, you figure it out. You, you, you learn. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then that that was how I, I got my hands on all these different tools, basically um, mm-hmm. working for different places. And then that I, I just built out my own kind of resume of experience mm-hmm. by just doing it. Uh, and then learning all these things. So it's all been, it's not really been, I have done courses, but it's not really ever been um, the courses themselves that really trained me up, if I'm honest. It's, it's been the actual going and doing it.
1: Now, have you also started picking up on uh, Dynamo and uh, maybe some scripting as well? Not really.
0: Uh, I'd like to do more there. But the the problem is, is that, I have issues with dynamo and one of the reasons is is that it's getting better now dynamo studio is improving it because it's pulling it together Um, Mm. but it used to be that you could be it it would basically be one little sort of super geek in the corner of a a room full of people and he's the guy that's the dynamo guy and everyone else has no idea what that is and they don't know what he's doing but he's saving Mm. everyone else like bucket loads of time but no one really ever really understands or appreciates that because he's the only one that there's only one guy that presses Go on the graph, isn't there? On, 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 you know, he's put this little script together. Yeah. <laughs> and 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 no one else understands it. They just, if they ever use it, they just go, well, I don't know, but the guy just said, you know, you just, you just open it up and click here, and, and mm. that's it. And they don't really want to know, and their eyes glaze over when you try to explain it to them. So I've only ever done simple things, very, very simple things. But I can see the 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 power. I can see the benefits, um, but it, to me, it it also causes some problems where. It, it, as I say, it's better now because it's managed better. But one of the problems was managing it across the studio. Was was that it would be, there's different versions of Dynamo, uh, and and the, and there's you know there's there's different nodes, and they don't all do the same thing. And the naming of stuff is just completely, it's you know because it's based on. I don't even know. It's just the way it is because of the software. Yeah, and, clockwork you know, and uh, so many other things. It just names. has weird names for things that aren't, they're yeah. kind of counterintuitive and you have to kind of learn this whole different way of thinking, which makes it quite difficult to pick up. But it's improving. It is improving. And there is a large community now who are messing about doing stuff. But a lot of it feels like people are just regurgitating the same stuff. They're just reinventing the wheel over and over. That's, yeah. that's how it feels.
1: But so. I, I feel like a lot more people are adopting uh I mean, they they are trying to level up in terms of uh, because these skills would be a prerequisite going forward, right?
0: You'd like to think so. Uh, it's hard to say. If I'm honest with you, yes, it's definitely a bonus as far as I can see. For me personally, if I see people that have these skills, I'm very, very pleased. You know, now, as an employer, I, I, you know, these are the sort of people. If we have someone comes along says, they say, no, Dynamo," they're at the top of the queue, you know, yeah. at the front of the queue. They're, yeah. No, no, no doubt about it. Um, but the thing is, they're also, um, no, pardon the expression, but it, they're uh, they're rarer than hen's teeth. You know, you don't see too many these people. They come along, and they're very, very rare. Yeah,
1: and they pretty pretty much get picked up by the top firms as well. Yeah, they can, they can,
0: they're not going to come to my little company. They're going to go to Arab, and they're going to go and do something there. They're going to go to Bureau of Happold and do something interesting. And and the thing is. The stuff that we do, um, we work with contractors. Mm-hmm. So, so the company now, that um, you know what I'm doing in Hong Kong, is we, we work closely with contractors. So we're we're always under the huge pressure to get things out the door.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So it tends to be ugly. <laughs> you know, it, you haven't got time to make things. You haven't got time to make scripts beautiful mm-hmm. and, and neat. It tends to be just you know get this done. Which is why if if you've got a Kolkata office and you've got 10 guys that are prepared to do it. The whole point of, of having dynamo is that you don't need 10 guys is that you have one guy that does it. Yeah. So, so we, we, we work backwards in that respect. We go well, actually, we've got we've got the manpower to do this. It's, it's actually not expensive to get these guys to do it. Uh,
1: but are they going through any kind of upskilling program or maybe, uh, you know, uh, just to, uh, you know, get up to speed with whatever's was happening?
0: Yeah, we're trying. We're trying. It's not it's not easy. Mm. And and especially with things at the moment, is, it, we're just lucky to be doing anything at all. If yeah, I'm absolutely. Just, you know, we're just pleased to be having any any uh, production. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we had all sorts of plans going on uh, about training and uh, progression and and uh, you know, think it it comes down to things as simple as just the hierarchy in the office of of like job titles because there's a cultural difference with with the way that people want to work. In, mm. Well, perhaps I wouldn't say the whole of India because it's a big country, but certainly in Kolkata, in that mm-hmm. part of India, um, there's a kind of uh, mentality where people are very funny about um, uh, their position and, and, and what their income is and, and their seniority and things. So you have to be quite careful what you do. Yeah. Because you you, it was very flat previously. Okay. Um, and, and because we didn't really have a lot of segregation in terms of what you call people. Um, mm. it was like well everyone's kind of doing modeling work so they're all kind of modelers but there's a strong argument to say you know you need to split it up more and because and, we had coordinators too mm. um, but it's just that you know trying to formalize it a bit more um, in terms of the way things are managed and, and that actually works quite well i think i think india um, likes formal uh, hierarchy more perhaps yeah. than european companies and stuff I think it's just understood more. It's appreciated more people like that for some reason. Whereas for me, it, 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 I prefer it to be flat.
1: Yeah. I prefer it to just be able to walk into the, the boss and, and tell him what I think.
0: I, I much prefer that. But that's not the Indian way. Yeah.
1: People <laughs> roll eyes at you if you start messaging the boss directly. Mm-hmm. It's not the done thing. <laughs> yeah, but how did you, um, you know, move to Hong Kong? And uh, you know, that that might be an interesting story, right?
0: Yeah, sure. So, um, cause I never really explained, I never really answered your previous question a while <laughs> no, back. I, I think I? it's anyway, like part yeah. of the
1: podcast where, you know, you <laughs> go jump in, in and out. So it's, it's, it's fine. It's, uh, it's interesting.
0: So uh, I, 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 that practice, when I left the timber, timber trust company, the, mm. the practice I worked for um, when I was there, I did a, um, I put myself through night school and did a, an HNC in building studies. And the reason why I did that is even though I had a degree, I didn't have, I I felt I was short in terms of technical ability. I felt Mm. that I, I wasn't, I was working as an architectural assistant, but I wasn't actually a part one architect. I didn't even have a, 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 an architectural degree. I had an interior Mm -hmm. design degree. It wasn't RIBA exempt. So I didn't have my part one. (laughs) So it was like, well, I've got no career progression here because I'm, unless I go and do a degree, I'm not part one, so I can't do part two. So I decided to go down the architectural technology route Mm. um, where I could keep my degree. I didn't need to do another degree um, because of course, you know, financially it's just insane. If by this stage I'm working, I'm I'm paying off my student loan. It's just not feasible. Yeah. You're getting older and it's just (laughs) not feasible. You want, you want to, you want to have a life, don't you? You actually want to go out and do something and spend some money on something. And, I used to share a house with these guys, and and they all worked at, uh, for BAE, so they're all like working in as sort of defense contractors. They're all working on sort of various projects, mm. and so they're all these kind of project manager type guys. And and we had this. We were basically the, the one of the guys coined it. They said we we're students with cash flow. We still we still live like students, but we just had some income, so we were like mm-hmm. buying sports cars and stuff. We were, we were idiots. <laughs> <laughs> we really were, but it was good fun. Oh, awesome. <laughs> Um, so we, we, just, we just lived that way because we could, cause we didn't have any like major debts other than paying off student loan. Hmm. Um, and you know, we were just renting and didn't worry about mortgages and things.
1: So which car did you guys get? Uh, we had
0: a, we had a good collection. It was good. So, wow. so I had an MX five, my friend had a, an, an MGTF. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we had a, a Vauxhall VX 220. Okay. Um, uh, which you might not be familiar with. It's like a sort of cheese wedge shape. And then, we, then one of the guys had a Lotus Elise. <laughs> oh, nice! And they were parked on the drive. We had this, we had this four-bedroom house in this lovely estate that we were renting. That used to, it was previously rented by a defense contractor and his, you know, like his American guy with his wife. And it was immaculate. And then Whoa. we moved in. <laughs> it's awesome. like the neighbors, one side hated us. They really did. They didn't. They didn't like us at all because <laughs> they thought we, we brought down the the neighborhood. It's like living <laughs> next door to these idiot students. <laughs> But yeah, it was it was a good fun. It was a great mm-hmm. house. But yeah, I, I, I what I did is I did the HNC and I did the night school um, because that's feasible. That's possible. It's not as expensive as a degree and you can do it and work. So I, I paid my way and worked my way through that one. And then mm-hmm. that meant I could then become uh, a CIAT. I become uh, uh, basically I could join the CIAT Chartered Institute of Architectural Technologists. Mm hmm. And so I kind of had an automatic buy to so a basic level of, of something to say, I know something rather than, you know, if I went down the RIBA route, um, I did, I did try, hmm. but the, in the Northwest of England, where I was, there were no part-time part one courses. Right. There was no distance learning offered um, other than uh, Oxford Brooks did one. And, and it was all, that was going to take like five years. And he's just going, what to do, a, to do a degree. You're kidding me, man. And like, I'm going to be really old by the time yeah. I'm an architect. Yeah. So it just—I I just thought, forget it. It's not worth it. I need to do something different. I, I've got, you know, I've got sports cars to buy. I don't want to be <laughs> Spending five years—it's just insane. It's, it, it doesn't make any sense. When you work with guys that work in other, similar but different uh, industries, so they're working in, you know, in, as project managers um, working in, in industry, um, their progression is completely different to yours. So in, 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 in construction you're used to like being a journeyman for like 10 years before anyone takes you seriously. Mm. And then you've got these young guys going in and they're building like fighter jets and they're turning up as project managers and people listen to them because they're project managers. And you're thinking, Mm. what the hell these guys have got billions of pounds riding on them almost on the size of these projects and teams in Europe and all over the place. And then there's me and I can't get a guy on site to listen to me because I'm not old enough, Mm. you know, and it's like, I'm perfectly qualified to do this. But the way that the industry works, it's um, it, it's like they, the way that they respect you is through physical seniority. They prefer mm-hmm. old people. Oh, you know what you're doing because you're old? No, oh, maybe he's just been doing the wrong thing for like 30 years. Yeah. <laughs> and so definitely BIM is, and, and digital is shaking that up big time. Because you've got young guys coming in, like the guy that you mentioned um, when we were talking earlier. Yeah, or One absolutely. of your uh, previous guys, the Finnish guy and you know and he's doing stuff that's kind of almost like rocket science in terms of what they're doing it's really far out in terms mm. of what the, the feasibility um and no one's no one's telling him to shut up you know they know that he knows what he's talking about yeah and so that that it's a good thing i think it's a good thing
1: yeah the barrier i mean the barrier of entry is uh, less i mean low now right
0: they're coming down yeah right? definitely uh, and it's partly because You could, I suppose this is one of the things about Autodesk that you could thank because of the numbers, the Mm -hmm. sheer numbers of people that using the products Um, and they're getting they're getting a a sort of an experience that is the same, basically, all these users are all using the sort of same or similar packages. So there's enough people using Revit, there's enough people using Civil 3d and they're all, they all understand the interoperability issues. They all understand these sort of basic issues. So they're all kind of on the same page, which makes it easier for a a newbie to come in because there's a whole like wealth of knowledge about how all this stuff works. Yeah. It does make it easier. Definitely. And, and when you think about things like 3d printing and stuff like that, that was, that used to be really out there. That was kind of like, Oh, you need to have this huge machine and a big expensive company that can actually afford to like do these things. And and now it's, it's like two or 3000 Hong Kong dollars. So it's 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 not much money basically to build one uh, or buy one and, and assemble it yourself or whatever and, and, and start 3d printing
1: yeah yeah i guess it's really easy. Future, I've,
0: I, even i've done some i'm an idiot and i've done some oh, nice. <laughs> i don't know what i'm doing stl file here you go done <laughs> uh, it's so it's so, so easy honestly i mean i made so many mistakes don't get me wrong i you know it was not it wasn't just one button
1: but yeah it's not difficult it's really not difficult and uh coming back uh to the main question, like how did you uh, reach the position of becoming a director at uh, the studio? This is a firm called Integrated Design Asia, right?
0: Yeah, so Integrated Design is a a Hong Kong based company. And we've got an office in Kolkata. Hmm. uh, That's our back office, our our engine room. We've got the the studio or the the office in, in Wan Chai in Hong Kong, who we basically sort of project manage. Uh, we have the the coordinators and the project managers
1: mm.
0: who tend to be site based, tend to be uh, client facing, tend to be working on site with with the teams with the t- with the site engineers, and they tend to be qualified engineers, architects, that kind of thing. Mm. But we're, we're we're still very small in terms of the size of the team. Say maybe fifty guys in in Kolkata, but then we've got like I think twelve now in in Hong Kong. Right. Um, and then we've got the Singapore office as well. We've, we've, we we started reaching into Singapore before the whole kind of like COVID nineteen thing hit. Hmm. So it's it, technically we we have a presence, but we we uh, we don't have stuff going on much. There's there's like one thing that's happening in Singapore right now for us, but we're looking to expand for sure. Um, and I got in there basically by through the back door as a bit of a coup, if I'm honest with you, because um, there's two other directors. Mm-hmm. There's Jay and Jake, uh, who, who were already established. And uh, Jake approached me when I was at Mott's and asked me if I'd come and join his company. And I said, no, thank you. Because I was working at Mott's and I didn't see the benefit. it you know, wasn't enough reason to leave Mott McDonald to go and work for a small company. You know, it, it was to work on the IW, IWMF project, the Integrated Waste Management Facility. So it's a real big project, 30 hmm. odd billion Hong Kong dollars for a 16 hectare site Oh, wow. uh, reclamation with uh, with all this stuff on. I mean, it's but this is Hong Kong. This is the sort of thing that's kind of like it's almost like bread and butter for Hong Kong. It's only places like Hong Kong that do this crazy stuff. They build these huge bridges. Nowhere else does stuff like that. Yeah, you have to go to the Middle East before they start doing something similar. So the the, the difference between ah oh, yeah you've you've just brought brought it up. The difference between that and uh, you know the sort of three four million pounds projects i was working on in in the uk hmm. admittedly i was working for smaller firms but you know i was doing 56 bed hotels in the lake district and then you come to hong kong and you're building you know <laughs> you're building man made islands with with incinerators on them it's just it's like going to the moon it's insane in comparison
1: the difference the size of the jobs is just um it's nuts but is it on the suburbs because hong kong seems pretty claustrophobic right <laughs> Um, Hong Kong is
0: tiny, but it's, it's really quite beautiful if you just don't go into central. Hmm. So you've got central Hong Kong, you've got Hong Kong Island, you've got Victoria Harbor, you've got the bits that, you know, people sort of know more, uh, abroad, but it's a tropical paradise. It's, 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 basically mountains. Um, and, and there's all these places, these country parks, you can walk in a very large percentage of Hong Kong as country parks. Hmm. So actually there's a lot of places where you can go and you can walk and you, you will see other people. That's one thing you, you do find in Hong Kong. You're very seldom alone. Mm-hmm. There's usually some, even at, early in the morning, there'll be some old guy exercising. There'll be like some old man that's like stretching Yeah. and you're on top of a mountain. You go, what the hell's he doing here? It, it, you see people everywhere, but um, in, a, in a way, I suppose, no different to India. There's always people. It's a very populous place, but um, it's, it, there's actually space. There is, there is space in the new territories. Um, there, there, there is room for stuff. All right. So um, this, and it's, I mean, yes, because Hong Kong, they make a new Island <laughs> um, to make some new land, but yeah. actually they technically speaking, there is space at brownfield sites, old uh, farmland, that's not used anymore, but becomes right. political,
1: unfortunately. All right. And uh, what are the kind of projects that uh, your firm works on? Uh,
0: we do mainly uh, parts of or, or complete large infrastructure projects. So uh, we have work at the airport. We have work at West Kowloon. So West Kowloon is a, another very large infrastructure um, mm. project where there's a master plan and there's all these buildings that go uh, around the site where they have there's a, um, the, a theatre, the Chinese theatre. There's a very large uh, museum. So M plus museum, it was Herzog and de Meuron were the architects for this. Okay. Um, and, and Farrell's TF uh, Farrell's uh, in, in Hong Kong that did the local side of it. They had a local architect, but it was Herzog and de Meuron with the original design. Um, and that's one that we were working on for the contractor. So we were doing contractor BIM mm-hmm. stuff on site. Uh, and we've got the Lyric Theater as well with the contractor, which is another huge building. They're all silly, silly big stuff, big tunnels, big bridges, <laughs> big buildings. So your firm was managing the
1: digital side of things, right?
0: Yeah, so we, we have different roles in the sense that sometimes we, we, we help the contractor by providing outsourcing and additional manpower. Um, mm. But then other projects like IWMF, we have an actual managerial role where we, we're the BIM manager on behalf of the joint venture. So there's a joint venture between Keppel Sagers who are the uh, Belgian and Singaporean um, specialists in waste to energy, hmm. and then we have uh, China Harbour or, or Junwa, who are the local uh, they're the local contractor that's doing the reclamation and, and the construction work, and that's the joint venture. And I'm the the uh, BIM manager for them. So they they talk to me about what they need and what they want, and I have to I'm supposed to sort of boss the uh, the consultants around, so the, the 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 main designer, the lead designer is is Arcadis with DLN Architects. So DLN mm-hmm. is the local architect uh, and Arcadis is the consultant. And then there's all these other consultants that are coming in for doing different things, landscaping and, and all sorts of other stuff. It's, it's extremely technical and complex. It's a hugely complex uh, project, if I'm honest with you. Mm-hmm. Um, And it it desperately, desperately needs BIM. And we are doing our best to see that things are done properly, but it's very difficult to achieve if I'm honest with you. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Especially if the architects and the consultants are not up to speed with uh, BIM tools, right? Uh,
0: Yeah, that's, that's been one of the toughies. So the consultants, so Arcadis, for example, they, they, they have their own GDC, which is, uh, they work with uh, an outsourcing uh, team in Manila very right. similar similar thing again uh, and so they have their guys that are doing the actual modeling work mm. um and you know in a remote location and there's nothing wrong with that at all it's just that the, when when i've worked on projects that have really really worked what you have is a co-located team so when i worked at atkins we had an, a co-located team for a doha metro Mm. Um, we worked on the gold line of Doha Metro and and our team in Hong Kong had three interchange stations, X-type interchange stations. Uh, And they were all different. Each one was different to the other. There was very little uh, that was the same in all three. Mm. And uh, we had architects, MEP and, and structural engineers all working co-located, sitting together, working together and that worked really well. And the engineers were doing BIM. They were actually modeling, not, all of them, lots of them weren't lots of them just they, they resist, they don't want to touch it, but we did have enough. The architects were very good actually they they really took it on and ran with it, and we had a really good team. We were very lucky, and it worked really well. Mm. so I'm not saying you can't do remote working because of course you can, and that's what our business relies on. but um, if you want to do it, in my opinion, if you really want to do it properly, the actual engine you wouldn't, you wouldn't need outsourcing because the engineers and the architects would be doing this already. So we quite often get work because other people do not do the work. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, long term, it isn't really truly sustainable if we're to believe that this is the future and that everyone will be BIM literate. Well, I know that we have work because they're not BIM literate and they don't want to be. Hmm. So that's our market. Yeah. People and- want to manage,
1: but they don't want to actually. They don't want to spin models around like we do. <laughs> yeah. And BIM uh, in Hong Kong must be big, right? Like the market. Into I, I feel even the government must have mandated things, right? What's the scenario? Yeah, in Hong
0: Kong? it was, it was mandatory. There was a, a technical circular. They do things differently here. Obviously, they, they, there was none of this BIM level two, you know, UK style, um, you know, giving people advance warning. This was literally a technical circular that was sent around in the end of two thousand and seventeen, saying at the beginning of two thousand and eighteen, January the first, you'll be doing BIM. Yeah. Simple as that. That was <laughs> technical circular that just says this is what you do. <laughs> right. um, and so that was it. It was mandated on everything above thirty million Hong Kong dollars, which is any government work above thirty million is, you know, you can't dig a hole in Hong Kong for less than thirty million, really. So it's pretty much every project. Right, right. And any any infrastructure project was going to be needing BIM. Any you know large structure is going to be needing BIM. So that was that was quite a big deal actually. Overnight, suddenly BIM. And then each year they they've uh, brought out or through the year they brought out new technical circulars. For example, the following year, they upped the ante slightly, but they asked for more, they mandated more. Mm. So they had a list of of like optional and mandatory and and they sort of added to the, the optional uh, items started to become mandatory as well. So it's quite good. I think they're doing it right in that regard in the sense that I think you do have to push from the top. It's not just, it doesn't work from bottom up. Mm-hmm. has to come from the top but also it has to come from the bottom up as well you have to have people that are pushed and trained and you know want to do this stuff
1: all right and uh, what kind of standards were you following um, I mean there were there weren't any BIM standards in Hong Kong right
0: it was a mixed bag and there, and there, there weren't any there was a CIC uh, BIM standard that was released uh, before it was it was available before the the mandatory use of BIM, but it wasn't. I don't think it was really truly followed. And then you've got different different sort of organisations like uh, AA, so the uh, Airport Authority or, or sure. MTR, for example, um, the large sort of uh, quasi-government organisations. Basically, they're hmm. they're sort of semi-government, um, and they have their own standards that they develop and things that they insist on. So it's not all kind of like joined up. That is one of the problems. So if you do a job for the airport authority, they want things done perhaps slightly differently to uh, West Kowloon uh, Cultural District might have. Right. Uh, you know, they they have a different requirement. But it's all in Hong Kong, and they're all kind of government projects. They're all kind of uh, publicly funded uh, or semi-publicly funded. Uh, MTI as an example, they have things they they want to do things slightly differently again. Mm-hmm they're trying to sort that out now because I was involved um, in there were, there was a series, there was a, um, these series of BIM meetings. Uh, there, was, there was like a team that was put together and they were asking, you know, people to come up with, with uh, comments and things about the, the new uh, ideas pushed forward for, for standardization and, and this, this and that. So they, they're going down, um, they're going down the building smart route, and they're trying right. to open it out a little bit in terms of, um, uh, you know, Open BIM, which which would be great. I don't see it suddenly flipping overnight from from Autodesk at all. Yeah. Um, but it, I think they're doing the right things by and large.
1: Yeah. The problem is there's too many BIM standards, right? Even though there's ISO nineteen six fifty, um, each every country has their own kind of uh, standards and uh, processes.
0: Yeah, and every business as well. So um you know all, all these large organisations like Atkins will, will have bim standard yeah um, and but the way that it was run was that if which which to me is, makes perfect sense as you say well you have as an organisation you have a bim standard you have a bim execution plan template you have a bim uh, sort of definition and standard way of like this is this is our standard method of working this is our standard method of this is our standard method of interoperability things like that yeah um, and you say that's our default and we will use our default in the absence of anything from the client that says we need to use something else, which makes sense because that fills in the gaps. Because quite often the client, they do not say anything, you know, in terms of an EIR, uh, Hmm. there's there's no information requirement. There's no employer's information requirement the way that it's meant to be. There's nothing saying, here you go, this is what we want, and this is how we want it. Usually you have to help them figure that out so it, it's quite difficult to just it's not like a menu that's nice and neat and you can say what well, they want this this and this and here you go uh, so quite often you there's gaps in what they're asking for uh, mm-hmm. there's also lots and lots and lots of really funny and bizarre examples of, of I, one of my roles um, since i've stepped up to be a director is i i look at a lot of tenders mm-hmm. so i'm i'm looking at a lot of requirements that are sent out and there's there there is commonality there, but they are all tend to be different. It depends who you get them from. Different mm-hmm. contractors give you better information. Different clients give you better information. Some some are very cagey about it, even telling you how long the project is. So you're like, well, how the hell do I price that when I don't know how much work you want? You know, yeah. is it a two years or is it a week? I don't know. So it's it's difficult. But some guys are very helpful and they will give you everything kind of laid out quite neatly. Mm. Um, you, there's a, a an ex-colleague of mine who's now in Sydney at WSP. He's quite a senior at WSP, but he mm-hmm. um, he and I put together. He came up with. The, he bought the uh, he bought the domain, but he he's um, set up a website called bimbollocks.com Yeah, uh, where, where we <laughs> yeah, where we like to put funny things that we find. And I I've, I I the ones I tend to put there are things which I find when I'm looking at tenders where they just ask for just the most ridiculous stuff. You know things that you just go. We couldn't. We couldn't deliver this the way you're asking for it. If we tried, it's impossible. Mm. Um, there was. There was a very good example. Someone wanted. Um, someone wanted LOD six hundred. <laughs> oh, wow. Like, what, what's LOD? What's six hundred? <laughs> like, like it's 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 more than as built. So what, what what does it mean? Is it is it you want it demolished <laughs> as Digital well? I mean, I <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't very. Uh, it, it's just people that I think maybe get something off the internet and have half an idea, but yeah. they don't really know what they're talking about. and they But they have to write the spec. Uh, it, it's improving, it is improving. Uh, you do get more sense, but there's still lots of examples of very, very badly written requirements. Yeah, but um, that increases the, your scope, right? As uh, I, I'm sure like you're the lead appointed yeah. party, right? You th- no, you'd think it would be a good thing, um, but you'd think it would give you more opportunity to make some money somewhere. But actually it, it, it feels like it gives clients more opportunity to beat you over a head over the yeah, head with a stick exactly. Uh, because you haven't done something that they, a lot of it seems to stem, uh, it comes down to um, it, it's kind of uh, managing their expectations. Mm. So quite often you get clients that think that because BIM, everything is in the model, everything, I mean, I've had arguments and they're literally saying they would expect like carpet finishes and, but you didn't specify it. You, you, mm. you know, if you don't ask for this stuff, it's not going to be in the model, is it? But they, but they think because, but I asked for BIM. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of different flavors of BIM. It's not as mm. simple as just saying you want some, how much BIM would you like on that? Like you, it's like a topping on your toast. You know, <laughs> how much BIM would you like? What flavor BIM? The, you, you, you really you have to, I, the way to do it properly and there's, a, there's a, an ex-colleague of mine who's now um, a senior guy at Ecodomus. I don't think mm. we ever come across Ecodomus. They're, they're nope. sort of the FM, AM guys. They help to uh, connect uh, BIM to uh, uh, sort of
1: uh, Ekodomus,
0: databases and Ecodomus, yeah.
1: That's ecodomus
0: C- right. E-C-O- Ecodomus. Right, right. Life cycle and a, uh, yeah. And, um, he's really understood for a long time that really the, the crux of the issue is nothing to do with design, nothing to do with construction is to do with operations hmm. and it works backwards. So you, you start at operations and say, right, you're going to have a facility to operate most of the expense in, in any, uh, anything that you build, you know, 90 percent of the of the cost, life, life cycle cost, is mm. in the operation. You know, you, you might spend billions on a building, but you're going to spend a lot more than that running the thing yeah, over the next thirty the years, or especially if it's a railway. You know, railways railways designed for hundred years or something, <laughs> yeah. and you go and you didn't really think it through. There's no excuse, no excuse at all. You should be starting at operations, working backwards, um, which then helps to define things like the employer's information requirements. But unfortunately, the way things work, you know, contractually, the way things work is that it's seldom the case and that we won't ever be approached by a facilities operator. Hmm. Um, They will talk to someone else and eventually we get involved and we get involved much later down the line when it's all of these decisions have already been taken. So we're just there to kind of like, you know, stick some BIM on it. Yeah, we've got this project. Can you give us some BIM? Yeah, OK, we can model it. So we do a lot of backwards BIM where you'll have uh, something that's kind of like designed but not coordinated and we've got some 2d and we'd like some bim okay so they don't want to spend too much on it mm. you know, can you do it can you do it quick and can you do it cheap well we can but what do you want to do with it oh we just uh we just need some bim <laughs> okay <laughs> Um so we really the best stuff is when you can um identify mitigate uh, mitigate risk for the contractor, or mitigate risk for, for the ultimate client, for the operator. Mm. Save them some money, save them some time, uh, improve the design. Maybe you 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 pick issues that are uh, haven't really been thought through, coordination problems. So, for example, IWMF is a is a massive coordination exercise right. because you it's it's pipes and yeah. There's a lot and, of and,
1: uh, uh, yeah. 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 yeah yeah. It looks um, like so a chipset when you see it on the screen. Yeah. So much happening.
0: So to, to, and you've got all these specific functions. All this equipment has a specific function and hmm. and 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 a specific efficiency, and they're all designed to specific, you know, uh, the amount of the amount of energy th- that goes in or the amount of heat that's released, and and all these things, and it affects other things. Yeah. Um. And it's not as simple as just a you know a building with with a bit of HVAC, and and all you've got to do is worry about what temperature is you know most of the year. <laughs> or hmm. something all of that that seems very simple in comparison this is this is um, they've got chemical dosing they've got um, hundreds of trucks that have to drive around it, it's all it's all all of the waste is delivered by by a ship hmm. um, and, and taken off in containers and then the containers are put onto trucks and the trucks drive in and tip them in the tipping hall into the bunker the bunker picks them up with mm-hmm. a big crane puts them into the incinerator the incinerator wow. burns them um, but then they have to collect the ash the bottom ash which is very very uh, toxic and then, of course, the exhaust gas has to be scrubbed to take out all of the uh, unpleasantness, because you know they've got standards for uh, what you're allowed to release in terms of the pollution. But there is always some pollution. You can't burn waste at low temperature and not have some unpleasant pollution. But um, you you get it down very low, which is part of the reason why it's an island away from everything else, so that um, what comes out of the smokestack is uh, you know distributed, so you don't have um, people living next door to it, right. But what you can see there, if you scroll up, it's just wireframe of the model. Right. Um, of the, and this uh, is a
1: Revit model, uh, right?
0: Yes, it's all in Revit. Wow. There is some, some, there will be some civil three D under there, but the the all the buildings are Revit. So oh, what is this long tower here? Oh, that's a that's the chimney. Oh, right. Six stacks. Wow. 160 meters or something.
1: So what stage is it at right now? Is it like uh,
0: it's still designing? So they're on site with the reclamation. So the reclamation is happening. There's caissons, the, the big uh, the big concrete boxes that they have to sink into into position that build the seawall. Um, those are being manufactured and and put into place uh, already. Uh, the, I mean, what you see there, the, the the steel frame, that's basically where the plants will go. So in that's just the the frame that's the, where all the equipment sits in. Hmm. And there's six six lines, six incinerators, and they're going to drive this in with a huge machine, which basically will just deliver it. You know these sort of multi-wheeled uh, platforms. Right. They're going to dr- drive it in off a barge, and and put it into position, and then build the building around it. Essentially, they'll, they'll zip it up afterwards. Awesome. It will be semi. It will be semi-built, but they'll they'll basically build the cladding after they put the the equipment in. It's quite impressive. Right. And it has to have a, the public there as well. It has a public viewing gallery and all these other things. So hmm. it's meant to be an educational experience. So they're meant to get school trips to go and see the incinerator working. And nice. It's, it's got a turbine hall with three turbines that will generate. Uh, I think it was something like up to 100 gigawatts. No, so, megawatts, sorry, 100 megawatts. But it's, it's so it's waste of energy. It produces energy as well.
1: Uh, how, how does this... Uh I mean, how does this project uh, start? Like, what is the starting process for a typical project for you guys? Whether it's a tendering or... Uh, yeah, how-
0: currently, currently we tend to be asked by... A lot of our BIM is, is, is for contractors. So it's we're, we're there to help things smoothly operate on-site to, uh, to identify issues, to, to build the models and put them together to say, this doesn't fit, this is a clash, you can't build it like that. Hmm. To, to work out, to do the four D simulation, things like that. So that's the sort of stuff that we do.
1: No, you may have to create a BIM execution plan to get the projects right. Yeah, sure. We do that. That's that's uh, a large
0: part of what we have to do. Right. So we do do technical, uh, you know, d- workflows and and all of the stuff that goes into BIM execution plans about um, how it's all meant to fit together. We we build templates and families, and hmm. we can manage all that and. We we have we've seen a uh, there's a there's a move much more because of Autodesk is driving it is there's a move much more towards uh, Forge and BIM three hundred and sixty yeah so lo- lots Revit. more of our projects are in the cloud now yeah which which actually works in our favor it's easier for us to work in the cloud because we can easily work with our guys in India that way it was mm. much harder previously when you had to use Revit Server because uh, you'd basically have this kind of like uh, they have to like work on something and then they have to sync and save and upload changes and stuff and and it, uh, working in the cloud that way. With, and it's all based on uh, Amazon, uh, Amazon. AWS, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, so it's, it's got the capacity. It's scalable. It, it's reliable. It's pretty good.
1: So essentially it's, it's, your it's CDs work would working. be in AWS, right?
0: Uh, yeah, we would use, well, yes, BIM 360 is, is the sort of the de facto platform. And then if, if you're sitting on Forge, you then get certain automation uh, should hmm. come with that. The ability anyway, uh, it it isn't always really used, but there's certain things you can get. So I'm always looking to try to get KPIs out of projects where you can uh, quite easily extract stuff, put it into Power BI, get some nice dashboards. Hmm. So uh, I'm fortunate actually, because my two Colleagues, my directors that I work with, uh, they they they, ha- they were running the company before me. I joined, mm-hmm. you know, because they basically I I never finished the story, but I was asked to join, <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and, uh, and I and I said uh, not for just for a project, and then talked to my wife about it, and she said, what what would it take for you to join? And I said, oh, you know, a part of the company or something like that. And she said, well, what's the worst that could happen? Why don't you go and ask? So I went back saying, can I be a director? And they they thought about it and said, oh, okay then. Oh no. Nice. <laughs> so, So that's how, but as I said, I did tell you, it was kind of through the back door. And uh, I'm fortunate because it's not all on my own shoulders. They're good. They are pretty good at what they do. So uh, for me, it's just nothing really changed. I'm still managing the same project. Hmm. I'll just look at some tenders. You know, I get to see some emails, maybe interview some people. But, you know, to be honest with you, it's it's not been too bad. And then they're not architects, right? You're co-directors? Um, one has an architectural background in, right. in the U S hmm. uh, he's, he's not, he's not a fully qualified architect, but he's a, I think an associate they call it. It's, hmm. you know, it's like the U S style. It's a bit different. Um, I'm not sure how that would register as RIBA. It might be part one or something. I don't know what you call that. Um, and in terms of uh, uh, ex- my other colleague, Jay, uh, he is like a, a machine because he's Chinese, you know, they just work hard, don't they? Right. <laughs> so, He's got qualifications coming out of his ears, and he's uh he's um, he's he's an MEP guy. Awesome. He's very very good. So so I've basically got two uh, very decent directors to work with. That makes my life much easier, if I'm honest with you.
1: Uh, I just want to interject. Uh, do you feel that you know uh, there's so much of BIM, and do you feel that sometimes BIM is overkill? Uh, I mean, because some countries do not have BIM at all, right? But they still manage to get things done, and uh, it works in, to a certain extent.
0: Well, yeah. Uh, by and large, like, the problem is your questions. They're annoying because they're kind of like yes and no. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, wh- what you say is true. You can you can do everything perfectly well without using BIM, uh, no problem. Hmm. Um, the it, where you start to have problems is it really BIM should just be business as usual. It should not be seen as an extra. It should just mm-hmm. be this is the default way of working. And the reason I say that is because until you have until you're using BIM, until you have the model, you don't have the data in this kind of like, if you see it, it's just a database exercise. You can either work with a database that has people's phone numbers in, or you mm. can have a database that has people's phone numbers, plus the businesses they work from, plus, uh, you know, plus the last business they work for maybe. And, you know, in terms of, uh, if it was just a sort of like sales thing, you, you're looking at like something which gives you a, a very, skeleton piece of information versus like a, a, a real nice deep deep dive into what yeah. these, these people did and where they came from in terms of a database and if you see that instead of people instead of a, a sales thing if you see that as okay now turn it into uh, a construction project and all of the things that you need to know there's people too but everything about every single element in that project in terms of where it is in xyz space mm. but also what it's made of and how it's expected to perform it will tell you all of these things because it will give you material properties. It will tell you all this stuff, or at least it can do. So you can have this database that has a lot of depth to it, a lot of trees of information. You click on something, it can tell you a lot of stuff about that. And if you have that, you can then do a lot more with it. So I mentioned a long time back about um, STL files and and, and 3D models. You can do 3D printing, a physical 3D print. Mm. But if you have 2D, you would have to build a model to do the 3D print. Yeah. So it isn't it isn't easy anymore. It's not fun. Whereas on IWMF, because we have models, the, the design doesn't have to be finished. But that's the whole point. The design doesn't need to be finished because mm. it's just a three D print. So you can say, hey, what do you think to this? And and because it's tactile, because it's physical, people really love it and they join in. They they join the dots between that. This is one of my problems. Has been um, trying to get people to buy into BIM, to buy into digital and to start using it and, and what i found is what works is you have to find like with anything i suppose when you're when you're trying to get someone to uh, change their way of doing something you have to get them to see it in the way that appeals to them so so for me it's a no-brainer but if i just stand on a soapbox and tell them you're stupid why don't you do bim i'm not going to get any buy-in so i have to see it from their point of view and say what what appeals to them so if they're a money guy they're just thinking about they're just thinking about, you know, brass tacks. They're thinking about the cost of stuff all the time. Mm. So if I can appeal to them that there is a benefit here for you in terms of the the cost, or I can appeal to the contractor and say mitigating risks so that you don't then have to worry quite so much about all of the claims that come in after you've built the thing when they say you didn't do this and you didn't do that. And you can say, oh, we've got a forensic record of all the decisions that were, making, yeah. that we're made throughout the project. You know, they, they, if you say you're going to be, so much more watertight that way than you would if you just had stuff, you know, on sheets of
1: paper that you can't even find. Yeah, I think so you just listed out all the great advantages of BIM.
0: Yeah, so you have to kind of sell it in the way that appeals to the the you know the individual that's considering buying, <laughs> um, and that's that's the that's the, the thing that I find is is it works, but it's tricky. You have to find that. You have to kind of get to know people and get to know what what they care about. Yeah. All right. That was awesome. my job at MOTS really with the with the digital delivery. Um, it was uh, reaching out and trying to get people to um, see certain things a certain way. And it was, I enjoyed it actually. It was it was good.
1: All right. And uh, where do you see yourself maybe like uh, five years from now? I
0: think in terms of uh, ideally where I'd be, as I'd still be in Hong Kong, hmm. my daughters would still be here at school because, um, you know, say for example, I wouldn't even be wanting to I've got two daughters and um they'll be going to local school, so they'll be right. learning learning chinese, the oh, chinese is it? Way. uh like my eldest is four and my youngest okay. is two and a half so yes. um so the the eldest is just going to school but she just she literally just started and then the, the whole virus thing uh mm. meant, meant that everyone didn't go back again <laughs> so she's kind of already had her first year and and didn't really uh, didn't really go to school that much but um yeah sort of moving on, I want them to learn Chinese. I want them to um experience growing up in Hong Kong mm. so that means that I'll be here, and my wife will be here for a while longer mm-hmm. um what I'll be doing in Hong Kong, I don't know because the the company now uh, we're we're doing kind of okay. we've been hit pretty hard. everyone's been hit pretty hard by the by the the what's yeah. going on with the trade war, the trade war between China and the u s We're kind of in the middle of it here. Right. And, and they've literally just, uh, in, they've um, cut, kind of started a bigger, uh, a big ruckus with uh, China of, um, of bringing yeah. in this national security law, which is <clears throat> causing major, major headaches. Yeah. Because there's lots of, lots of, lots of nervousness with mm. what it means. Because they're talking about sedition. They're talking about things that the, the problem is, is that you've got all these people, all these sort of talking heads that are coming up saying they support the law, but we still don't know what it means yet. It hasn't mm. even been defined. So we're not even sure how it's going to affect everyone, <laughs> but there's mm-hmm. lots of fear. There's lots of fear and, and uncertainty. And uh, I had one of my ex-colleagues, um, local, local Chinese guy who, who asked me, because I'm British, he asked me to endorse his, uh, his, his British passport application, bless mm-hmm. him. So <laughs> you've got people that they're worried, and so they're looking for backup and, uh, and a way out if they have to. Yeah. And that's, yeah, think- that's a very difficult place to be. So when you say five years, you think mm, I'm not sure about where we're <laughs> going to be in like five months. You know the way yeah. things are going, they're talking about the law being introduced by August. Right. So I would like to think that by August we would know with some certainty what that means um, in terms of the future for Hong Kong. Uh, I, it's hard to say. I, I mean, we we've got we've got options. We've got Singapore. You know, we've got mm. we've, we we've got our team in Kolkata. So we. We just need clients. I don't think people are going to suddenly stop getting stuff built. Mm. Um, the only fear is that if 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 politics gets involved, then we might struggle a little bit because we're an international company you know we we're, we're run by foreigners so there's me i'm british. The other director's mm. american so that's that's not really a good mix right now. <laughs> 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 we're kind of like public enemy number one and then the other director he is chinese mm. um, uh, mainland chinese he's from shanghai really? so Maybe if we just disappear and he carries on, he'll be fine. Maybe I don't know. <laughs> we we just become regular employees and not directors. Hmm. Um, it, it's it's really hard to say how it's going to affect everything. Um, but ideally, uh, we would still be here and still be working, still doing something in BIM, still building stuff. I would hope. Awesome. And I uh, I think that we've got we've got a lot of projects on. You know, we're still we're we're pretty healthy to be honest with you. Hmm. But we, it's just very hard right now to see very far ahead. You know, it's it's all there's lots of lots of disruption with all the all the nonsense with um, things being on lockdown and closed down, and just makes it hard to uh, to make decisions.
1: Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how much uh, the governments or the investors are going to invest in uh, architecture now because post COVID, it's going to be a bit different, right?
0: yeah you'd like to think it would have some effects on, on on certainly the way things are laid out in terms of um, entrances and exits uh yeah. lifts lift capacity um maybe they have to then start having standby lifts so that you have a spare for you know if, if there's a transmission in the building they'd have to start looking one of the problems i've had in hong kong is um, actually people seemingly being uh infected by uh through the uh the soil waste pipe
1: so oh.
0: through 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 drainage um <clears throat> but they, they know that the virus lives on for quite a long time in the gut. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: so that basically there's a, there's a strong argument that if you have somewhere that has poor sanitation, not that Hong Kong's necessarily got poor sanitation, but mm. even somewhere like Hong Kong, um, you do have vapor that comes from the, the, the soil vent pipe and they've had someone that was infected, they believe from the, the vent pipe of the building. And then basically just the effect of the air going across the top of the building and, mm. and drawing air in at a lower level they reckon there was enough basically the air carried enough virus load from what was released from the vent pipe mm-hmm. so you think well that's they're now going to have to engineer things completely differently if that's the case yeah which is quite interesting so I, I, it's very hard to say it but yeah it, it should it should start to make um well you'd think bim would be perfectly placed to help with these things you know you can start to uh you can start to Optimize layouts. You can start to, uh, you know, use algorithms to uh, mm. to figure things out for you. I think it's going to be necessary. I don't think it's going to be an option. If I'm honest with you, I think it's going to have to happen. But um, yeah, quite how I don't know exactly. But we're here to help. <laughs> Integrated design is here to help anyone with that needs some digital BIM stuff. <laughs> well, I mean, it's just it. It, it, yeah it's just there's so many questions if I'm honest with you there's so many yeah well you just go i don't know I yeah don't
1: go really on know. and on right
0: yeah it's it's the, every single item you know every all these points are in themselves like a that's like a podcast on its own
1: just to discuss yeah, that. yeah. last question to you would be like i just want to be uh since you've stayed in Hong Kong for so long, I'm just curious to know how much uh i mean if uh the housing problem in Hong Kong can be solved as per your uh your take? Well, the funny thing is, so the housing authority in Hong Kong they build
0: public housing, and mm-hmm. it's all you know, multi-storey tower blocks. They have a kind of template way of working. They've been using BIM mm-hmm. on all their projects since, say, 2014. Right. they are trying to do it in quite a, an intelligent way they they use they don't call it dfma it's mic here so it's modular integrated construction but they it's very similar to dfma mm-hmm. in the sense that the the facades of the of the buildings are manufactured the other side of the border in mainland china right. and you see them truck them in they truck them in as prefabricated units and they wow. crane them up into site but they still do a lot of in situ Hmm. You know, even the, the 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 concrete frame, the podium, all of that—they they, they tend to work still with with shear walls and and uh, and transfer slabs, and there are all these enormous amounts of concrete with rebar in. Uh, that's just how they work. That's what they like, hmm. and they understand it. Um, really, to me, it should be almost like a, a kit that just turns up. Uh, you know, there should be very little uh, in situ. There should be more automation. Mm-hmm.
1: Um,
0: there should be more intelligent use of of tagging and and know, kind of RFID tags and, mm-hmm. and, and um, QR codes for equipment and things so you can scan things. They do do things, uh, so like certain government departments, um, they, they, they've done some uh, really quite interesting stuff with RFID tagging and, and, mm-hmm. and stuff. But it's just not universal, that's the thing. And it, it, you'd think that Hong Kong would be perfect for all this because you have these very small, tight sites where you, you it should be perfect for just-in-time Hmm. where stuff just arrives and is craned into position. They've done stuff in London that they had literally trucks queuing up the road and then right. they would take off a unit and crane it up and then next, next, next. And they'd be doing like one, every, every, you know, averages out of one, every four or five minutes
1: or something.
0: Yes. And they're putting this into place and you think, why can't they do that more in Hong Kong? I know that there's issues with, uh, they're very conservative in terms of sort of safety factors and, um, wind loads and things like that because of hmm. the typhoons and stuff like that. But I still believe that this is completely you know, possible to do, totally possible. And I think they're just not trying hard enough. People, are uh, they're too conservative.
1: Yeah, it's like how mainland China built an hospital in less than 10 days, right?
0: Yeah, it can be done. I mean, yeah, you might have a few issues with leaks and what have you, but you can do it. It can be done and and, it, and and because there's problems it shouldn't what happens is there's problems and they just go oh i don't want to do that it doesn't work well why would it work perfectly first time you 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 basically you 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 rinse and repeat and then you you learn your lessons and then you get it right yeah you know you don't think the first person that built a reinforced concrete structure got it right perfectly first time you know they had all sorts of problems with exposed rebar and things that they had to learn but over time you perfect it so they just need to perfect the the method of, uh, of off-site manufacture bringing things into place. There are examples there's projects we're working on where they're doing a lot of off-site manufacture and bringing yeah. things in and, and the IWMF is one of them. You know, they're, they're, they're prefabricating all of the, the process units and, and bringing them in. They're, tra- they're bringing the caissons for example they're manufactured in, in mainland China they're brought yeah. into site and they're sunk into place so there is there is uh, quite a lot of, uh, of, of sort of pre-manufacture that happens but then I think from my point of view, I, I, you know, I was, I was, you know, designing or, or engineering or, or selling trusses, whatever mm. it was that you call my role. And I was doing that years ago and I know how easy it is. I was doing it and, and, and it is so easy to push the button and it goes to manufacture. We could be doing that with so much more. We really could. We could be yeah. doing it next week. The, the software is not the problem. The hardware is not the problem. Uh, the problem is people.
1: Mm. They just awesome. don't want to do it. Yeah, and I feel in the future there would be a total automation with uh, uh, drones and stuff, right? Robotics, and that would be interesting yeah. to see.
0: There's a there's an interesting. I mean, there's examples. There's a, a chap I met called Ben. Uh, I think his name's Ben, and it is Archistar was his company. That he's mm. uh, he's out in in Australia, right. uh, and I met him at this uh, talk in in Bangkok. Makes me mm. sound really jet set, but I basically don't go anywhere. I'm a dad. I hardly go anywhere, so this was quite rare. <laughs> Right. but um <laughs> but uh he he was a very interesting guy because uh i think it was benjamin Corey i think his name is you can mm. find him on linkedin he's he's on my linkedin and uh archistar is his company and he's trying to get it so that it basically scrapes data um for if you want to for example if you want to uh, as, a, as a developer you want to buy a site mm. and you're looking to build a hotel and it will tell you automatically when you, when you use the software, it, it sort of like overlays. It's kind it's of smart city stuff. It overlays all this, all this other data, any public data it can get its hands on. Right. Um, where he, ha- he has a team that helped to sort of scrub the data and tidy it up. Hmm. But basically, you have a site and you say, this site in Melbourne, you want to build a 50-story structure. They'll say, oh, you can't. It'll automatically tell you that you can only go up to 30 stories there. And oh, wow. it, t- it automatically overlays all of it's It's basically like playing City Skylines. It's like playing hmm. a game. So you just say, oh, this is what I want to do. And, and it kind of automatically tells you the height restrictions and limitations on, on infrastructure and things like that. Nice, It's very cool. And that's totally the way things should be. And so I, I wish him all the best with what he's trying to do. I don't know whether he'll make it because I think there's other platforms that are all trying to do similar things, but it's, yeah. uh, it's very, yeah. very good. Yeah. Just,
1: if there's one thing this uh, pandemic has helped us, like, it's, for, you know, it's uh, uh fast forwarded the process of digital adoption. I mean, a lot of people are getting to it.
0: Yeah, I think so. I think it's people are seeing the light, which, again, as I say, it's frustrating for me, because I think it's a no brainer. It seems obvious. But yeah, you have to remember that not everyone's on the same page. Yeah. So what what to me is just from my perspective, you know, stupid to try and do it any other way. And, and obviously, you know, the fact that we can do this now, this podcast is no problem at all. It's so easy. Yeah, uh, and and yet people would, uh, you know, have an issue with uh, not having to be in their office and mm. uh, got to make a call. It's no, it's just no big deal. You can actually get just as much work done, if not more, absolutely, uh, because you can kind of have things the way you want them and how you need them, and then you're kind of uh, you're you're insulated from any issues like pandemics. You're still working. You, all you need is the internet and some
1: power, <laughs> and you 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 you're good to go. All right, Simon. So that was one hell of a session. Uh, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> we talked quite yeah, a lot uh, yeah. about a lot of interesting stuff. Uh, so before I let you go, we'll just quickly jump into the quick fire round and uh, uh, then wrap it up. Okay. All right. So which book has inspired you the most? Uh, so far? I mean, uh, w- or what what are the kind of books that's inspired you?
0: Uh, funnily enough, I'm into science fiction. Uh, I yes. don't know whether you could have known that I'm, I'm a bit out there. So I, I, I'm a big fan of Ian M. Banks novels, right, right. Uh, and and one of the best ones I read that to me, I read it at university, and it just a uh, light bulb went off in my head, and it was it's called Fearsome Engine, hmm. uh, and it's an Ian M. Banks novel, and it was just it's got a character that speaks phonetically, so that it does your head in when you first read it. Um, he the way he's he his his text is written, it's written like kind of the way you'd say it, hmm. so it takes so it takes a little while to kind of like translate it, but after a time, you're reading that faster than you're reading the normal English stuff. Right, but it's, it's anyway. That's that's your answer. Uh, what's on your playlist right now? I'm a big fan of uh, SoundCloud, so my playlist is. Uh, they tend to be quite eclectic hmm. collections of, of stuff. Um, so uh, there was there's a something there's a guy called Quantic who does um, these lovely little mixes of kind of like uh, South American sort of Latin hmm. jazz stuff. <laughs> which I've got into It's brilliant because you, you just find stuff that um, I, I wouldn't have really known. I liked to be honest with nice. you. So uh, that's been my recent thing. Yeah. Uh,
1: which city would you consider your favorite?
0: Um, I would have to say Hong Kong. Uh, I've been here seven years now. Okay. I, I, I really do love the place. It gets, it gets under your skin. They say that of Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. If you, if you're here for two years and then uh, you stay, you, you, you don't live,
1: you never leave. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Was there any mentor in your life or someone that was inspired you a lot
0: yes there have been several um, probably in terms of bim one of the one of the uh, most helpful people uh, is is Brendan who uh, is now he's in a WSP in, mm-hmm. in Sydney who I mentioned earlier the, the, he's he's been very influential in terms of um, helping me to see how uh, perhaps he's got a very nice manner. He's just got a very nice way of sort of like approaching stuff. Mm. So, uh, and he explained it really well in terms of how a bin manager should be. And it's that he should be like a pilot of an aircraft, an aircraft that basically you don't need to see or hear or know the pilot is, is doing anything. Mm. It can be all autopilot, but when there's a problem, you need them. So you need to know they're there. Yeah. So, a lot basically a lot of the time a project is moving along quite smoothly and you're not really a bin manager doesn't really need to do that much you know you're, mm. you're doing all these things but you're not actually it's not panic mode so you're just kind of like uh, you know doing your thing uh, quite calmly uh, and efficiently and then suddenly there'll be it's, there'll be something that gets corrupted or, or you know something yeah. goes horribly wrong and you need to turn it around fast uh, and, and so
1: then it's good that you're there at the controls and uh, what does the daily routine in your life look like? Maybe uh, just before the COVID, because I'm sure you're sitting at home now, right?
0: Oh uh, No, I've been going into, basically, if you have to remember that Hong Kong was is, is kind of ahead of the curve because we're connected, obviously, to the rest of mainland China. And right. we had people coming here from Wuhan very early on. So mm-hmm. we had uh, an outbreak very, very soon after uh, it first uh, emerged. Right, right. So Chinese New Year was at the end of January. And we've basically been dealing with this since then. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're now in June. Um, so to begin with, I spent time working at home. Yeah, sure. But, um, I've basically been needed on site and the site operations haven't stopped mm. and my site office has still been running. But, but basically the way it works now is, um, my kids, we, well, they're, they're better now, but they usually sort of wake me up jumping mm-hmm. on my head at like five thirty, six o'clock okay. in the morning. And then you, you, you mess about with them and get yourself ready for work and then you're out the door. I'm in the office for about 8.30, 30, hmm. um, 8 something like that, maybe. So then uh, on site at the moment, you have to wear a face mask all the time. You're always washing your hands. Um, you know, they're pretty strict on all that sort of thing. They're very hmm. worried about anyone catching anything. Really? Um, and then, depending on what goes on during the day, if I go with my wife, you see, so my wife and I drive together drive partway from my village, uh, park up. She mm-hmm. goes to her office. I go to mine. We keep in touch by, she lets me know when she's leaving. We mm-hmm. try to coordinate. So we get back together and then drive home together. Uh, so we get back home for say half past seven, maybe. Oh, um, and then put kids to bed. And then if I've got any work to do, I carry on or I, uh, or we get to sit and watch Netflix.
1: <laughs> okay. Awesome.
0: About it. And I, I usually play some games. Flying planes at the moment has been my thing. I've been I oh, don't nice. know why. Yeah, I don't know why. It's just a thing. I just just get into certain things. So I've been I've been flying World War Two planes. <laughs> oh wow. Nice.
1: So you're playing your kids' toys and all that.
0: Oh, no, this is this is the thing. This is what's embarrassing. This is like grown-up toys. This is like, a, you know,
1: I've got, I actually bought a
0: joystick for the computer. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And my kids are trying to play with it, and it's like, actually, no, that's, uh, that's not for you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll teach them one day. I'll, I'll let them play these games when they're a bit
1: older, but they're a bit young. All right. <laughs> All right, Simon. And uh, what advice would you give uh, to maybe young architects or someone getting into the BIM space? I
0: would say... Um, to begin with at least, don't worry about making mistakes. Never, never be fearful of making mistakes because essentially um, you can't make mistakes. Uh, when you're at the beginning of your career, when you're young, you, you, sh- you shouldn't be able to do anything which is uh, serious enough to really mess anything up. Mm-hmm. So it, that is the time when you have to uh, learn. So don't worry about getting anything wrong uh, and just keep learning and be prepared to be flexible turn your hand to anything Uh, if you see an opportunity take it don't worry about it because the thing is the the thing about BIM is no one really knows that much in all honesty you know I I get put forward as some sort of expert but I don't really know that much I, I, I bounce my way through my career to where I am right now but I didn't really have a plan. I never started off at university going, I want to be a BIM manager. I never yeah. considered it ever in my entire life. <laughs> I just kind of ended up where I am and, and, and this is what I'm doing. But I, 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 I'm quite far from being an architectural technologist. I, I never really um I never really talked about that much actually. Mm. If I were to give anyone advice in terms of uh the, the kind of the direction to go in terms of um qualifications or, or letters after your name, I would definitely say look at CIAT ciat.org.uk uh, and consider it's, it's quite big in india actually they're growing um,
1: mm-hmm. so it's not but, just for the uk citizens for no, anyone no no,
0: no 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 it's international it's international yeah, but yeah. it's just that it's mainly uk because it's all that's where it all began and it, right. it, it's aligned with riba and stuff but there's a i mean there's a i'm, I'm the chairman of uh, the hong kong center there's a mm-hmm. the ciat hong kong center and i'm the chairman
1: mm-hmm. it
0: doesn't mean a whole heap because there's not very many people here that are members but mm you know that that's not the point uh, we're always here to to reach out and help and 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 talk to people so recently there've been a couple of people who have gone to go on to do their chartership so I'm chartered yes. I'm a chartered architectural technologist so it means it's a protected title it's just it's just not it's similar but not the same as being an architect it's more of um a, a technical architect yeah yeah you're you're more you're more into technical detailing and and uh, and managing projects and um, it's, it's complementary to architects. It's yeah. not
1: necessarily, uh, yeah, which is yeah, also you know, pretty awesome.
0: Yeah. So I, so for me, I would say that's a good way to go. If you're not sure about being an engineer or an architect, there, there are other routes. Yeah. Uh, and, and just to go for it basically. Um, and, and, you know, if an idiot like me can get to where I am, now, <laughs> <laughs> Basically by just guesswork and just no, making it up as really... I went along. I had no real plan, honestly. I yeah. had no real plan. I've just met people along the way who've been uh some more helpful than others, but you learn as you go along. And and this is the thing, it's a great time to be involved with BIM because I, I would argue, and this is perhaps something that other people would say differently, but quite often you see people who say they need BIM managers that have like five, ten years experience or something, and you're going, yeah. Really? you want someone that was doing BIM 10 years ago because you know, that's like irrelevant now. Yeah? yeah. The best thing is is that you want someone that's just got good experience over the last couple of years because things move so fast. Exactly. Having, having a long, long, uh, I mean, it's, it's, obviously it's, it's beneficial to have depth of experience, but basically if you're doing a job and you need someone to do this job, you need someone that knows about that job for the last two years in some depth, but no more really because what's that going to offer you? Are they going to, are they going to bring something to, to help? That's like, you know, some software from five years ago. Cause it's, it's obsolete.
1: Yeah.
0: That's, that's how fast technology moves. That's how Absolutely. fast, uh, you know, hardware moves on. And so the, the things that I was doing when I first started, I get depressed when I'm doing anything, which is even remotely similar to what I was doing when I first started, because I'm thinking this is wrong. You yeah. shouldn't be doing it like this anymore, it, it should be changing. It should be moving on. So, uh, you know, Spot it, it on. should be a really should be a really good time for young people and graduates i'd be i mean we we're, we're always looking we're always uh, keen to in fact whilst i'm on before i go i'm going to say i joined something i was asked by rebecca DeChico, this lady that runs uh, she this thing called women in bim hmm. obviously i'm not a woman uh, <laughs> but i i offered to be a mentor because there's no mentors in uh, in this region of asia mm-hmm. so i said uh, i i would like to help uh, in, in you know, in some capacity, if I can just help point people in the right direction, or just be uh, someone like an outreach just someone to just talk to uh, or something.
1: All right.
0: um, so I, I'm doing that as well. Uh, so I'm always keen to help people that are sort of you know up and coming young grads and stuff. It's important. We need more people in 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 the industry, and uh, more women is fine. That's a good. That's always a good thing. There's not enough women in in construction generally speaking. Mm. Um, they tend to get. They tend to disappear. So uh, they tend to have kids and not come back and that kind of thing, which is, which is a shame. That's not what should happen.
1: Yeah. Everything's changing now. The, I mean, there was a flattening curve uh, back then. I think I read one of your uh, ziggurat articles where uh, you compared the non-farm industries to construction and construction always been flat for quite some time. Oh,
0: that's not me that did that. But yeah. Thank you. Um, th- that is, that's very well known that one. Yeah. Um, the comparison. Yeah it's basically uh, construction's retarded. It just hasn't, it hasn't advanced, yeah. <laughs> you know, manufacturing has uh, and, and construction is still stuck in the dark ages. Yeah, but it's, it's, it's changing rapidly you now. I think things are changing rapidly. I still think the construction industry would like to be left alone if I'm honest
1: with you, <laughs>
0: <laughs> but sure. I think the the world is changing too fast. Uh, yeah. And I think that uh, you have to get on board or you'll just get left behind.
1: All right. Awesome. Simon, uh, that was a brilliant episode. Uh, thanks a lot for coming to the podcast and uh, hope to have you That's in the my future. My pleasure. Thank you.
0: Thank right. you. I appreciate it. I, I just hope that uh, these are helpful and useful, uh, if I'm honest, because I I found them helpful.
1: I found them interesting, which is yeah. why I reached out to you in the first place. So. Yeah, super interesting. And uh, if uh, for our listeners, if you want to reach out to Simon, I would be uh, putting up his LinkedIn profile and other links in our show notes. So uh, if you want to reach out and uh, get in touch, uh, please do. All right. And thanks, Simon. Uh, and I'll see you in the future episode as well. Probably talk talking. Yeah, depth yeah. Keep awesome in plans. touch. We'll, we'll speak again. Yeah,
0: I'm sure. Okay. Thank you very much.